Live, interactive, and here to assist you if you need help. Dealing with addiction, mental health challenges, and more. This is Road to Recovery with your host, Yona Bud, only on 640 Toronto. And welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us tonight. This is Yona on the Road to Recovery. Uh, if you want to continue to join us and talk with us tonight, you can by calling 416-870-6400. Or you can, uh, if you're calling long distance, 888-225-TALK. We want to hear from you. That's what we're here to do tonight. We're here, I'm here with Anne-Marie and Corey working in the studio and uh, trying to make this the best show possible because I've got the best audience possible. So tonight we've got lots of stuff to talk about on the road to recovery. And generally, as you know, our first hour is usually about kids. And there's so much to do, right? There's just so much to understand about how kids are coming out of all of this and uh, what school is going to look like and what it looks like as a parent to kind of help manage some of the anxieties and difficult feelings kids are feeling in school, out of school, not sure, you know, the older ones that are starting to graduate and uh, thinking about, uh, you know, uh, post-secondary education, what that's going to look like. You know, parents are concerned about what's happening on the campuses as they hear horrible stories of uh, violence and brutality and uh, bullying and sexual assault, all that kind of stuff going on. So it's a difficult time. But, you know, after a year, year and a half, almost two years into this pandemic, uh, clearly, the uh, experts are saying that kids are just not all right. They're just not doing that well. They're not doing as well as you as one you know would hope. And you know, as resilient as we think young people are, um, doesn't necessarily mean that they're able to kind of find their way through this quagmire of difficulty and uncertainty uh, that the last uh, almost two years has brought. But um, and it's an increase, actually, in the number of COVID-19 cases um, or ICUs once again, except this time what we're seeing is there's more children falling ill in unprecedented numbers. And it's clearly because kids haven't been, for the most part, kids haven't been uh, um, vaccinated. You know, family, communities are reeling from the obvious, the, the obvious pandemic effects. Uh, the, the threat of, of childhood anxiety and depression we're seeing is, is being raised more and more and more. Uh, parents can protect their children. They can, you know, however, help them. And there's ways to do that. We'll talk about that in a minute. But the, the, the pandemic started slowly, right? The, the second one, uh, kids and families, we were socially distanced last year, kind of all came back. Um, you know, children lost the all those buffers, you know, that kind of help them uh, guard against uh, mental illness and things like athletics and parties, and graduations, and forms of connection, right, with family and friends. So a lot of families struggled, um, you know, dealing with their kids with online learning, and what that, you know, what that looked like, um, you know, dealing with their work, trying to take care of younger children, planning, you know, uncertain activities with, you know, you're not sure if things will be open or not. Just a very difficult time. Anyway, the anxiety rates in kids and teens um, skyrocket. According to emergency room visits, according to pediatric um, mental health uh, reports from uh, the hospitals uh, across Canada, it's up over 70%. So emergency rooms are seeing kids up 70%. These are for mental health visits, right? So young kids, anywhere from, you know, six, five, six, up to, you know, 18, 19, 20, whatever is captured in the data. So these are disturbing rates. And, there's, and, and the rates of suicidality amongst the young is uh, highest than we've seen, I think, ever. Um, no one's actually come out and said that. But the numbers are staggering, and they continue uh, to, to, to kind of blow the, the previous record, if you will, out of the water, uh, not in a good way. So pediatricians are now seeing more kids with mental health issues than ever before. 
Uh, in the America, according to the American Academy of Pediatrics, um, they're now encouraging doctors to screen for mental health at every visit. So whether the kids are showing any uh, signs of it or not, uh, they're looking to uh, they're looking to um, make sure that doctors are paying attention, right? Frontline workers are paying attention, whoever that is. Could and I suggest the same, by the way, uh, for um, counselors and school uh, officials and teachers and so on. But the first step is to identify and be alert to the potential signs uh, that kids, you know, being more attentive to what they're saying to you, that can go a long, a long way, right? So things like do they seem down? Are they less interested in their favorite activities? You as a parent, right, or a grandparent or a nana or, you know, a caregiver at some level, um, you know, if, the, you know, you're a neighbor and you're taking care of the, the neighbor kids sometimes, you know, look for these kinds of things. You know, sleeping or eating less or more, right, having headaches or stomach aches a lot, you know, clues that your your child or teen is struggling, you know, you got to pay attention to those so that you can adjust, you know, how you go about things with them and perhaps the conversations you have with them. So don't assume, right? Feel free to ask, hey, are you okay today? You just seem a little bit down. And then don't push, right? So things like managing expectations is a big thing too. Remind your, child, remind your kid that, you know, this is a year where things are just different. So it might not work out exactly the same. You know, it might, might not get on the same team that you were on last year, or they might, you know, hockey might be a little different or whatever, right? It, it, that kids should not expect this. Adults should as well, that we're in a period of time where things are still in flux. So don't have any real expectations based on something kind of carved in stone, and especially with simple things like extracurricular activities and so on that, you know, are, are good to have. But, you know, if they move them a little here and there, it's not entirely the end of the world, right? So kids are like us. They're like adults. They want senses. They want a sense of control. So we have to find it, you know, give them the control to turn off the bad news, to not pay attention to the stuff online that makes them, you know, uncomfortable talking about, you know, uh, all the horrible things that are going out there, making sure they have a routine, getting lots of exercise, sleep, and eating well, right? Uh, get your kids outside as much as possible. You should go with them. You should encourage the family to do family-related things, right? It's stuff that you got to do together. So the way to get kids past this is to model behavior, basically, around how, do you, how you're getting past it. A little more exercise, a little more if I got families that are focusing much more now on, on cooking meals. I had a mother call me the other day to say, you know, I'm uh, having a real problem with my kids. They, everyone seems to be disconnected and, you know, they're, they're not sitting at the table together. So we put together, there was uh, two girls, two boys, a mom and a dad. So we had a boys team, a girls team, and they started cooking uh, against each other, so to speak. Uh, came up with that as an idea and then we worked through those those uh, preparation periods where there's a lot of conversation between mom and the girls and dad and the boys. Then they switch teams. So they're now loving it, right? The, they're a month, month and a half into doing this and loving it and seems to make a big difference. So just something as simple as how you're getting your meals prepared and what we're deciding to eat together. You know, getting your kids involved in the process. And not, you know, nothing is, is set in stone that they can't be a part of. And if you want to have pasta tonight, we'll have pasta. And if you'd rather have pizza, we'll have pizza. But, you know, you get the kids get to pick, family gets to pick, we get to make some meals, right? So it's, you take that whole situation of I don't feel like eating, I'm not coming down, forget it, I'm not hungry, and you turn it into a social event with the family and kind of a little competition perhaps between two, you know, two teams, if you can, just for the fun of it, and, uh, and cook some interesting things that take time. You know, to prepare and to carve up and to peel potatoes. God, can you imagine buying potatoes and having to peel them versus ordering French fries? <laughs> it's amazing, though. It's therapeutic, and it really helps. So parents want to fix everything for our kids. The way that we can fix this 
is by showing them the best way to cope with things that aren't exactly as they should be. And if you're, and if, and don't be afraid to ask your child if he's ever considered or they ever considered taking their life if you're feeling like they're in that place, right? Like, have you ever felt like you just want to check out, you know? But uh, if, if you're feeling really concerned, you need to get a hold of somebody, get some help. Uh, my suggestion, the first people to call are the kids' help phone. Uh, they're a tremendous resource, can help mothers, fathers, kids, uh, everyone in the, along the, the path of caregiving uh, to do the best, uh, you know, to provide that child or those children with the best possible opportunities for support. Um, yeah. Really difficult time. When we come back, though, uh, some good news, right? There's some good news around uh, school and extracurricular activities and sports and stuff. We're going to talk about that for a little bit. I have a, one of my favorite guests coming on to, to join us and talk about how kids are doing this first month, see what her feedback is in terms of uh, how she's managing in her practice and what kids she's seeing. So we're going to have a guest coming back here shortly. Hopefully you're going to join us. If you want to give us a call here, 416-870-6400 or 888 888- Two two five talk can always text me here at six four seven. A lot of numbers I know four eight eight zero zero eight six. This is Jonah Bud six forty Toronto. Addiction is a serious issue, and we take it seriously. This is Road to Recovery with Jonah Bud on six forty Toronto. And hi there, welcome back. Thank you for joining us again this evening. I know you have other choices, and I'm glad you choose us. And uh, we're really happy to have you here with us on the show. 416-870-6400 if you want to connect with us right here, right now. People are standing by. I have a whole team of people standing by to take the long line of callers. But we'd love to hear from you, seriously. Uh, it makes the show work better for everyone. We get to hear what you have to say, somewhat interactive, and that's what makes great radio. At least that's what I think anyway. Okay, so much for going on and on. I have a guest who's going to join us here. It's my good friend, Bonnie Sue Solomon. She's a, a social worker with master's in social work, um, working with kids for years and years and years. She's a, definitely a go-to person for me when I have to refer uh, for the kind of work that she does. Um, so she's going to join us here in just a sec. But the, it really it's about extracurricular activities. You know, stuff is coming back. We're starting to, you know, do stuff in the, in, you know, in the, in the, in the gym. We're starting to go outside and doing stuff together on team sports some kind so i want to hear from uh from bonnie sue in terms of what she sees going on and uh and then we can all uh, share it together but if you want to call us you can do that 416-870-6400 you have an experienced social worker who will be more than happy to field your calls if you want to call where we're chatting bonnie sue solomon thank you for joining us once again on a sunday on a saturday night <laughs> when i'm sure when i'm sure you have other things to do um, this is one of my favorite things to do, um, spend some of uh, the evening with you and, and all your uh, listeners. So thanks again for having me. And uh, how are you doing? Yeah, man, I'm good. So what's what's going on out there? Like uh, first, I guess, first sort of month of kids back to school, uh, public, you know, uh, regular school, middle school, high school, and, you know, the college kids and so on. Are you seeing anything different? Are you paying attention? You know, you're, you're seeing sort of... What's going on? Like you getting a feel for, does it feel like a normal back to school year for you? Yeah. I mean, it's very, very busy. So in terms of, um, in terms of how things are a little different, it's busier than usual. I think anxiety is definitely, definitely up. I mean, there were people that had anxiety before the pandemic, but um, then it, you know, obviously got uh, stronger during, during the pandemic. So there's lots of anxiety. There's also separation anxiety um, from, you know, from family or whoever, or whoever they're living with. Um, but there's also excitement. So there's uh, there's a mixed bag. There's a lot of, you know, a lot of students that are very, very excited um, to be back in school, to be socializing, to be learning off offline. Um, 
And so there's uh, definitely a mixed bag. So very, very busy means, like very, you said, very, very busy, busier than normal or, or something. Maybe I'm paraphrasing, but busier year than, than typical. Busy with what? More kids, like, just need someone to talk to? Busier, like, they're, you know, trying to change their subjects? Busier, like, they don't know what they're going to do when they grow up? Busier, like, they want to take their lives? Like, all yeah, of it or just something in particular? Of, definitely anxiety. I'm saying anxiety is probably the number one. I see. I see. Okay. And depression as well. Um, right. So, so both of them. So both of those things, and just hard. You know, difficult to get back into the swing, back into the routine after being um, home for for so long. And so, it's uh, there's lots of the transition is really tough, but it's also really good. And um, and in terms of, I think you were mentioning extracurricular activities, and I think that this gradual return of extracurricular activities is really, really encouraging news, as we yeah. know the. Um, how important these activities are to students, to their mental and physical health, and just really to their overall school experience. It's, it's you know, a way of getting to know other people, of socializing, of learning different things, and it's just, it's good for everything. So it's, um, so I think it's really encouraging news in terms of that. Um, so many, you know, students during the pandemic were not able to do their sports or their clubs or, you know, if they were involved in band or theater. Um, so yeah. it's really um, something that they really, really missed. Again, a lot of students were anxious to get sort of back into the swing of that for different reasons. Some for, you know, feel not, you know, worried about safety measures being taken. Yeah. Um, for yeah. others, it was about leaving home. Some about not seeing. So, so can I can I can I interrupt you there for a sec? Because I, yeah. I I I don't mean to be rude, but I want to get some stuff in while while it comes to mind. So you, yeah. you've said that twice. People that are concerned about leaving home and separation anxiety. So that's something that you know we did a we did a show about separating from your pet. You know, like you've been at home right. with your pets for a year. Yeah. But the, I never it never dawned on me <laughs> until you just raised it, which is why you're so good that this whole thing about leaving family that you've been glued to for eighteen months. So for can sure. we talk about that? A little bit i guess that's kind yeah. of odd for for teenagers and kids tell me about that a little yeah. bit oh it's tough i mean it's not for every kid there's some that can't, couldn't, yeah. can't wait yeah. to get couldn't wait exactly to get yeah. and yeah. you know and that's also another story so there's some other issues around there but um yeah i mean it's you know just the feeling of safety knowing that like you know and there's a couple there's a lot of different factors but knowing also um what measures have been taken in their home to you know to keep to be kept safe and when they're out in the world and in schools yeah. They're not yeah. feeling as confident, a lot of students, that all the measures have been taken that or might be taken at home. Um, and just being used to being, you know, just being not to have, a, you know, the routine that they're back into or the, the schedule. And just to be close to their parents, close to their family members. Now, it's not, again, there's, there's a mixed bag. It's also domestic violence has also, you know, gone up during the pandemic. And there's um, wow. so a lot you're hearing of, a lot of you hearing a lot about that. Are there kids coming yeah, to you to talk to you about some bad yeah, experiences over the pandemic? Definitely, for sure. There's, there's definitely, yeah, definitely domestic violence has gone up. And also in terms of lots of loss, lots of, um, lots of grieving um, and just not being able to see, um, you know, people that were ill in their families, you know, during that time. Or, you know, yeah, so there's lots of, lots of different, uh, lots of different concerns and issues that uh, students are coming with. Um, but they have this really good support and, um you know, definitely in schools. So their first priority is definitely ensuring the appropriate health and safety measures are in place so that um, students can learn and so and, and activities can be done safely. And definitely there's lots of supports in terms of mental health. And um, so it's really, um, really important and not just for, for the kids, but for, for the parents at home too, because if the, their kids see that their anxiety is, is 
strong and hard, then um, it's not going to help in terms of ease their worry. So, um, so it's important for, for parents to try to stay calm or act calm at least. <laughs> what about uh, what about colleagues? Uh, I know you're involved in in the campus life um, yeah. uh, part of your practice, uh, but the, your colleagues or, or, or teachers or, or other educators, uh, forms of educators that are you know involved in the process that you you know you're involved in the same kinds of kids. Are, are you finding that that amongst your peers uh, or colleagues that there's uh, more conversation about sort of you know kids and how we're going to manage it and you know looking for more sort of support amongst each other so you know you as kind of the in-house let's fix it all person as a social worker um you know are are you also finding more staff kind of leaning on you a little bit yeah i think we lean on each other i mean that's the great part of being part of the team um is definitely to be there for each other we consult with each other um but definitely um really always checking in and and uh, which is really really important i mean it's no one's immune to it. People, you know, colleagues are also anxious, anxious about, you know, getting back into on campus. And uh, even though we know that all the safety measures are, you know, are being taken or else they wouldn't have opened the doors. Um, right. But it's still when people have, you know, their families or their kids or their, you know, aging parents or friends that they're concerned about. So it's, um, yeah, so we're all trying to take care of ourselves, of each other, and definitely of the clients that we serve for sure. So um, but yeah, so I think there's a lot of anxiety all around, but there's also a lot of love and caring and compassion and support. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So you, you, that, that, go ahead. No, I was saying not, not just, not just for kids in terms of the extracurricular, extracurricular activities, but for, for all of us and as adults to, to also, excuse me, to get involved, you know, to do what we love to do and, right. you know, to use the time that we have to get out there and do extracurricular activities, whatever, whatever that, you know, whatever that means to the whatever that means to the person, something fun to sort of get away, take, take a break from work and from the problems that, that people are facing. Yeah, people, I don't think people truly understand the, the concept of, you know, what the benefits are from extracurricular activities besides the fact that it's chess club or the, or theater group or something, you know, sports related, but it's the memories, right? It's those memories and experiences that sure. uh, really help really help form a healthy a healthy young mind a healthy mind of a youth uh, you know they make friends they have experiences as being part of a team with someone else those kind of relationships last forever and ever it's just really healthy and very educational um for sure it's definitely I, and, and, so yeah i mean also yeah, so, for some people there's like again there's social anxiety for some yeah, for many, yeah. For many and hopefully for most that it's really it's really it's uh it's part of the overall school experience so i think the more and it's a, a place that some people might not shine in one area. So, you know, so getting involved in something else where they feel like they belong or where they could yeah. shine and get recognized and be seen um, and just have a little, you know, break from, from whatever it is, whether it's um, some part of their life that they need a break from. So I think definitely it's really, really important for, uh, for mental health and definitely for physical health. Um, I know, you know, extracurricular activities are not only sports. I know there's clubs and there's exactly. um, yep. all different sorts of things. So, but it's, I think it's really, really good news um, that, you know, schools are gradually um, returning to extracurricular activities and hopefully it will, uh, they'll stay, they'll stick and, um, and kids will, students will get a lot out of it. 
So your your own self care, I guess, when you're getting busy and and I know you have a you know you have a kind of a day job plus you have you know a private practice and you know and all that stuff. You're very busy, very busy practitioner, and you know it's because you're so great at what you do. But um, like you're having a hard time with the flood. You know, I sometimes find it hard to turn off the floodgates, so to speak. Um, you're having a hard time yourself regulating at all, or you're just pretty good at knowing when uh, when when it's time. Um, I don't always know when it's time. <laughs> oh, I don't always know when it's time. I knew when it was time the other night when I was working at like one thirty in the morning and what I, my documents oh always my. working on got, got deleted. But, um, <laughs> no, but I, um, I really incorporate, I, I go for a run mostly every day and I start my day that way. And I, I, I really notice that when I don't, I really feel very different. So, um, definitely self-care is so key for all of us. And again, um, you know, really connecting in any ways yeah. that you can with people. And um, yeah, like I said, it went in terms of work, definitely consulting and um, supporting each other. Well, I'm glad, we were able, no. I'm glad we were able to connect with you tonight. And I hope you enjoy mm -hmm. the rest of your evening and do something fun. And uh, yeah. we'll certainly have you on again. Bonnie Sue Solomon, she's a master's in social work, uh, works with kids, uh, exceptionally good at what she does, and a good friend of mine and a good friend of the show. Thank you for having her tonight. We really appreciate it. When we come back, uh, we're going to talk about this thing about finding find lost students and wooing them back to school. Uh, we're going to meet with a young man that's uh, involved in this process, and he's got a vision and a really interesting uh, person to talk to. So join us back. Or jo join us back. Join us when we come back. Uh, we'll be back shortly. Yonabud 640, Toronto. You're listening to Road to Recovery with Yona Bud, only on 640 Toronto. And welcome back. Thank you for joining me tonight and being on the Road to Recovery with us. I'm in the studio with Anne-Marie and Corey. We're uh, doing the best we can to give you the best show possible, but we'd love to hear from you. 416-870-6400. We're uh, just about to uh, talk about the next segment here as it relates to kids and school. Uh, so actually, the, 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 the article I'm referring to here is from a person named Morgan Sharp, a uh, local journalism initiative writer uh, with the National Observer. And um, the, the, it's captioned, the great ouster, finds lost students and woo them back to school. Uh, students who have fallen out of the education system due to the pandemic risk forming an underclass with diminished prospects, he goes on to say, risking, I, I guess he's, Morgan might be in, I don't know. They go on to say, pandemic risk forming an underclass with diminished prospects, and the Ontario government needs a major outreach effort to bring missing students back to its classroom, says the head of a global commission for education recovery, Irvin Studen, or Studen, we're going to ask him uh, when he gets on here, chair of the Worldwide Commission to Educate All Kids, Post-pandemic says Ontario's education response to COVID-19 has led to a significant number of students slipping through the cracks. Surprise, surprise. The commission launched in January by the Institute of 21st Century Questions, of which student is the president, seeks to harness efforts to educate children around the world after the pandemic and, uh, and counts education experts, formal government officials, and educators among its ranks. It could be a great student. It could be a rich student or a poor student. It could be a marginalized student. Regardless, the student, the school loses its substance or loses its substance. They just turn the button off and they're out, he said, about the effects of extended and extensive closures. Mr. Student, thank you for joining us tonight and welcome to the Road to Recovery. Good evening. Thanks for having me. Okay, so is it just so I don't make a fool of myself, student or student? Yeah, the, the former. 
Okay, perfect. Um, so tell me, give me, you know, from your own perspective, you know, what you're doing, what your concerns are, what keeps you up at night, that kind of stuff as it relates to this initiative. Well, for, for your listeners, um, I guess many would have been in the, grown up in the education systems of, of Ontario and, and Canada, which I think were amongst the most stable and most consistent around the world before the pandemic. They might not have been the best in the world, but they produced the most educated population in the world, bar none. What we have now during the pandemic, coming out of the pandemic, is the biggest catastrophe, bar none, of all the catastrophes of the pandemic, and that's the education catastrophe. There are many catastrophes, but the education one has two dimensions. One is moral, that is, huge numbers of kids, and I'll, I'll go into detail, uh, out of the system altogether. We call them third-bucket kids and huge learning loss. So that's a moral catastrophe because these kids will simply not do well post-pandemic. Many of them will just die young for reasons that we can discuss. Second is a strategic uh, dilemma, which is how do we build uh, or rebuild or recover Canada post-pandemic with this huge new class of kids, regular kids, you mentioned them correctly, rich and poor alike, uh, who are patently undereducated or not educated at all. Uh, what are we going to do? How are we going to compete amongst the countries? How are we going to recover? How are we going to have a stable society? So it's, it's a total catastrophe that ha we've overseen at our feet that we've failed to understand, failed to notice, and now uh, slowly but surely we're failing to respond to. Okay, so are we what do we talk when we talk about a, or a catastrophe? And and I get the passion, and I appreciate where you're coming from. When you talk about kids slipping through the cracks, can you give us a you know give us kind of the 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 simple salute, the, the simple overview of what kind of what kind of kids and are they, why are they slipping through the cracks any more so than let's say the marginalized kids have been slipping through the cracks for years? No, no, no. Why is this why is this such a great thing right now? Let let's let's just be clear, and and, and even your language suggests that that is not yet clear in the minds of people who are commenting on. These are not Please, go ahead. just any kids. What happens is in the March in March of last year, all the schools around the world in most countries closed you know, in the biggest simultaneous policy action in global history. From okay. India to the United States to Canada, they closed. Okay. What we didn't realize is that we were closing massive systems. And as soon as you close, all sorts of human dynamics take hold. First of all, a small proportion of Canadian kids have no access to internet as soon as you go online. The okay. proportion is either somewhere between 2 and 6% of the population, depending on what, what statistic you look at in Statistics Canada. That yeah, it says, well, says 1.2. One, the, the Statistics Canada says 1.2% of kids don't have it's, access to the internet. Higher. It, the Statistics Canada is about 6% for the total population, 1.2% for certain families with kids. Okay. So, let's say somewhere okay. in between. Whatever it is, on it's too many. On top of that, you have kids with unstable advices, devices. Yep. You have kids who don't speak English or French as soon as you go online, or the parents also don't speak, so they're, they're not getting an education. You have kids in, in abusive homes who don't have an education as soon as you go online. And you have uh, the worst category of all, middle to high school level kids who, as soon as they go online, uh, see that school has no more purpose. School loses its it's meaning. No boyfriend, no girlfriend, no sports, no spirit, no friends, no walls yeah. to keep them in. They're yeah. there for two or three months. They turn yeah. the, the Zoom call off and they're out into the either. The teacher doesn't know that they're there. The system doesn't know that they're there. Nobody's looking for them. They're out. So right. In April of this year, the premier 
close the school under the formulation, their schools are closed indefinitely. For a teenager, indefinitely means forever. So they're out in masses in high school period, and they consolidate in what we call the third bucket. First bucket is real school, physical school. Second bucket is virtual school. Third bucket is no school at all. In Canada, there are 200,000 plus kids in the third bucket coming out of the pandemic. They were in our schools about a year ago. They were in our malls. They were on the soccer pitches, the hockey arenas. In Ontario, which has had the most catastrophic school closures, 100,000 plus. These are our kids. This is our future. And they will die young. Why will they die young? Because they have nowhere to go with a grade seven, eight, nine education in a post-pandemic world that is far cooler. So that's the catastrophe at our feet. Wow. Um, So... The I, I'm a little cut back. I did the numbers are staggering. I mean, we again in my experiences working with youth and you know youth and crime and youth and violence and gun and gang violence. You know, we deal with a certain number of kids that just you know get lost, and we try to figure out ways to educate yeah. them. But but they're not numbers like this, sir. And uh, first of all, I take my my hat off to you and, and commend you for the I'm sure extremely tireless tireless and, and frustrating work uh, that you must do. So what's the deal? How are we getting them out of that third bucket? Let's just, uh, two, two details that will interest you and, and your distinguished listeners. There are 500 million third bucket kids all of a sudden around the world wow. that were in the schools last year. 500 million is the size of the population of the European Union. The United States has 15 to 20 million of them. We have 200,000 plus in Canada, 100,000 plus in Ontario, 100 million in India alone. These so, are, but, but, but were these kids, hang on, let me interrupt for a second. It's the only way I can ask questions because you, yeah. you're, you're very articulate, but I really do need to interrupt because you have limited time. Um, okay. Here's the question. The question is, uh, these are all kids that previous to the pandemic or prior to the pandemic were, were connected? 100%. They were. Wow. All so this is in addition to the ones we lost anyway. Yeah, we didn't lose many anyway. When you and I were growing up with the greatest respect, I presume that the kid uh, in the regular suburb who was not in school in the middle of the day yeah. would have been known to the parents, to the school, to his friends, yeah. oh, that Johnny's done in school or Johnny's planning to leave school. Yeah. Now there are a hundred thousand Johnny's around and they are not bad kids. They're not dropouts. That's why we use the third, third bucket. They were yeah. ousted by a system that collapsed. There was nowhere to go. Now the schools are open. The schools are open, but they're open in a zombified way. They're not open in a way that, that allowed these, many of these kids to return. Many of these kids were out in the third bucket for a long time because of the school length of the school closures. And a teenage mind that's out for three, four, five months is a different teenager. So you've got to have, a special, invitation for, you have, to have a special invitation for that young man or young woman to get back. And this, my criticism of the way we've, quote, unquote, reopened the schools is that we've done it in a zombified way, low energy policing rather than copy what the best jurisdictions around the world are doing who are reckoning with this problem is full on get these kids back as a national mission because it is a it is a it is a criminal collapse in public policy. So we gotta get it right. It's our adult responsibility. And we've not yet assumed our adult responsibilities in Ontario to begin with. We're not using the right language and we're presiding over the collapse of, of, of the future of our kids. 
Well, we uh, unfortunately we have such limited time here on the show. Um, can I ask that you come back and join us again? Because I find your work extremely fascinating. I find you to be quite fascinating. And I'd like to learn more about, uh, you know, obviously we require the time, but learn more about sort of what, what the process is then. What, what, you know, what do you got, what do you and your team and advisors, you know, what, what are you going to be at looking at to try to, you know, capture these kids, so to speak, uh, in terms of not capture them, you know, physically, but capture their attention such that, you know, you do reengage and, and you do provide the proper messaging. So, um, I do, I, I thank you so much, Irvin Student, for joining us tonight. He's the president of the Institute for 21st Century Questions and the editor-in-chief and publisher of Global Brief magazine and a very passionate man um, on, a, on a tremendous mission. And we wish you well and all the success. And please uh, come back and join us again. We'll figure out a way to, to spend a little more time and talk about uh, how you're moving through this initiative and what we might do as a, as a society to help. Uh, when we come back from break, um, we're going to talk about uh, any stories you might have to share, like the little girl who last year, you know, during her Zoom classes would hide under the table, but this year jumps out of bed to go to class. And uh, a few more stories like that just might be interesting for you to hear how kids are talking about going back to school. And maybe uh, we're going to share a story of maybe from one of the teachers that's involved as well. Uh, but I'll tell you. Got to be paying attention to what's happening with our children because, uh, as uh, Irvin uh, Student said, um, you know, we are losing them and may not get them back if they don't find uh, some re-engagement to come back to class, to come back to the stuff that they can rely on and learn from and feel somewhat safe. Uh, thankfully, there's guys like him around to do what it is that he does. Uh, so come back, do what you got to do, go have a break, and uh, we'll be back in a couple of minutes, 416-870-6400. If you want to comment on what we're talking about, 888-225-TALK. If you're calling long distance, 647-488-0086. If you want to text me privately, I'll get it immediately, and we can uh, chat uh, either before or after the show. See you in a minute. Yonabad, 640 Toronto. Welcome back to Road to Recovery with Yona Bud, only on 640 Toronto. Hey, I was just listening to that liner on the way in the show. We talk about all kinds of stuff, not just addiction. We're going to have to get them to change that because it's not fair. You don't get the right understanding of what it is we're talking about here. But let me share that with you right now. What we're talking about is everything related trying to get back on this road to recovery get on the get on that path to wellness and happiness and joy and all the good things kids adults you know everyone in between including our pets and our furry friends uh so uh please listen in and uh we'll uh do what we can to uh educate you a little bit maybe entertain you a touch and uh, inform you for sure so um i had a student um she he is in my uh my uh, private practice and uh you know one of his big issues is he's taller um you know taller than uh, uh people that uh are, are his age you know he's uh, somewhere in you know young teen um not old enough to drive and um you know his he was at a smaller school had some issues uh, we dealt with some of the traumatic stress related to his issues over the summer and we're doing a lot of therapy with him and his family and he's doing exceptionally well just Time to go back to school, September, early week. And he's like, ah, I don't know. It's a different school. I'm going into a new grade, going into a new school. So adding, entering grade nine, he was. Um, and, you know, a little uncertain of his uh, of his own self-esteem and so on, to say the least, some anxiety issues and, uh, like most kids have at that age. And um, anyway, we start talking to him about going back to school. And, you know, we, we joked about what he was going to wear, you know, back to school, what outfit kind of, you know, 
pretending that I was there shopping with him and, uh, you know, picking the back to school outfit and just getting psyched and ready to do his very best back in class. Gets to school and realizes, oh my goodness, there's like 2,000 kids in this school. And he comes from a school with, you know, maybe 400, something like that. And, um, and realized, and, and, and of course, last year he stood out because he's taller than most kids in his class and, uh, you know, more physically developed than the kids in his class, more muscular and so on. Um, and um, this time he's like, Yona, there's seven other guys in my class that are taller than me. <laughs> so he found, he found his, uh, his comfort in um, the numbers, actually, that there were so many other kids that, in fact, were taller than him. Uh, so he, he was kind of easy for him to hide in the corner and not have to, you know, at his convenience, come out and play when he wanted to, so to speak. You know, lunch times were difficult because he had different breaks than some of his friends. Didn't have a lot of friends back at the school that he came from that were joining him in this new, cl- in this new grade, in the new school. But anyway, working out really well for him, enjoying himself and really liking the anonymity of kind of uh, blending into a larger environment with uh, kids that look, you know, kind of exactly like him. So not all kids are having that great experience, but lots of them are. And as a matter of fact, after many, many months of online school, uh, this young girl, Aria Fong, she's six, she decided that she's had enough, right? You can only imagine adorable little spitfire that she must be. And Aria, who was usually a high social, highly social outgoing child, started hiding under the table when virtual classes would start. No kidding. June this year, she agreed to sh- start showing the top of her head, her mother, would, her mother says, but then she would sometimes put the laptop so far away that no one could see her. She didn't like anything about this online stuff. This was a kid who was very vibrant and very talkative. Suddenly, the online schooling she attended included teachers and other students that she wasn't familiar with, wasn't comfortable with, and her mother says she was regressing socially very quickly. Well, now that she's attending grade one in person, apparently she says, I'm so excited about meeting new friends. I like to do math. I like to do art and science. She's also looking forward to playing outside with her other friends and students. So this is a kid who clearly didn't do well going the other way, going to to Zoom classes, right? Now, I know a lot of kids, many of whom I work with, who have you know, terrible anxiety issues, self-esteem issues, and, you know, all kinds of other uh, relatable you know, problems that we could get into another night if we were talking about it. But for now, um, who found that the Zoom classes, the, the distant learning, the video classes, whatever, online, you know, so to speak, uh, was great for them. They didn't have to be in class and worry about the zit on their forehead and what they were going to wear because they lost weight or gained weight or, you know, feel stupid and they don't like their hair and whatever, whatever, right? All kinds of reasons why kids don't want to go to class. And for many, it was a solution to hiding from that. And now, for ma- and for many, it was awful because they prefer to be involved face-to-face. They do better face-to-face. I don't do well online, many of my, my patients would say. Yona, I just don't do well online. I don't get it. I can't follow it. I can't pay attention. For those with ADD, like you know, it's 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 you know, an anxiety or or, or attention deficit disorders, very difficult. On, online classes can be very difficult. You've got you know as many as forty or fifty black boxes on the screen at a time, maybe more, depending on what kind of grade you know what grade you're in and what you're studying. Hard for kids to connect. 
makes it very difficult. This girl, the young girl, this young girl, Jenny, Jenny K, she's 14. She's about to join a school at a TTSB. Uh, her virtual learning began with a tobogganing accident before the pandec- pandemic, and she fractured her leg um, several weeks before the pandemic. So she was in a full cast in the middle of the winter, I, I'm guessing, you know, probably December, January. Um, it, it is a guess, but based on the story, it makes sense. Uh, it was easier for her to attend her grade seven classes online, according to her mom. So it was especially odd at first because not many kids participated in virtual classes, Mum went on to say, having been socially distanced even before her peers, it also prolonged uh, her isolation, according to Mum. Jenny went on to complete the grade uh, and all grade eight online at a private Catholic school with about 300 students in the GTA. But on September, she's going to start grade nine in person at a new public school in the Toronto district with 1,500 students. And what is she most excited about, ladies and gentlemen? Okay, you can guess her school outfit. Like, that's my kind of kid. That's what you're going to focus on. What am I going to wear? And what am I taking to lunch? And where are we going to eat? That's the stuff you need to worry about. All the rest of this stuff's going to be okay. But being in a new environment for her was quite weird and a little bit scary. She went on to say she's never had a locker before because in her re- recent school, previous school environment, they didn't do that. She's never, you know, changed classes in between, um, you know, had these kind of extended lunch hours and so on. So she's really feeling quite good. But she developed a lot of anxiety and, and during the, the pandemic and was having a really hard time with the concept of this online schooling and missing all of her friends. But she's also taking, interesting, she's taking some Ontario virtual school classes uh, in an accredited private school for some additional help with math. So there's a lot of families and a lot of students that are finding that this hybrid of some online. So maybe the online stuff is good for tutoring, perhaps, or some extra, you know, an extra class to, to help make something up. Um, teachers, you know, according to this this teacher, Chris Taylor, she's an English teacher at Sir Oliver Mowat College, uh, Collegiate in Scarborough. Um, you know, she's talking about coming back, and what she says is, I did, I did what I could to make it fun and a good experience for the kids during the pandemic, but the platform has its limits in connecting with students. She's been teaching online for the entire pandemic, and this month he's returning, uh, he's returning, excuse me, not a she, he's returning to an in-person classroom. He volunteered, actually, to teach full-time last year. Um, but anyway, even teachers are finding it so much better to do the job face-to-face. It's so much easier to connect. I'm doing most of my therapy right now online. I'm really enjoying it. I think the patients are doing extremely well. I know that they are. We track their their success. Uh, so it seems to be working in this environment for me to do what we're doing uh, with uh, online stuff with recovery at home. Uh, but, um, you know, I can't, I, I do miss the, the face-to-face. I miss the hugs. Uh, I miss the, the, the body language that you can't quite read uh, through video. But uh, you know what? We do the best with what we got. We're able to help a lot more people this way than it is uh, than we ever could in a office environment, uh, just in terms of sheer numbers and travel and so on. Anyway, we're going to get back to it. Kids are going to get back to it. They're resilient. They should do well. I'm expecting that they're going to do well. Um, but we're going to see as time goes on, and we'll pay attention and share that with you as we go along the road to recovery. So we're going to take a break here, do some news and all that, and uh, a little bit longer break than normal. So uh, do your thing, make yourself a sandwich, have something to eat, maybe you know, pour yourself a drink, a cup of coffee, something good for you. And uh, we'll see you back in a couple of minutes and uh, do some more of this. We're going to flip to the adult hour. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the business lunch, the decline of this. Is it good for you or bad for you? The fact that you're not going out for lunches anymore and for those drinks and sandwiches after work. As soon as we come back, we're going to talk about that. Yona Bud, 640 Toronto.
Addiction is a serious issue, and we take it seriously. This is Road to Recovery with Yona Bud on 640 Toronto. Welcome back to that same old life that we had before. Welcome back to shopping again at a real store. Well, the trains have all changed since you've been around. We've arranged it so. Okay, welcome back. That's how we're welcoming you back. Actually, if you don't uh, remember the song, it's from the show Welcome Back, Cotter, one of my favorites uh, back in the day. That what we're listening to is a TTC ad, and what the people singing are actually TTC uh, employees, and it's a great, it's a great promotion. Uh, if you haven't seen it, um, hopefully we can lose it in the background here in a second. But um, the if you haven't seen it, it's something you should watch. It's it's really quite cute, and I think a tremendous way to talk to people about coming back onto uh, the TTC. So. What, speaking of welcome back, <clears throat> have you had that welcome back lunch yet at work? I want to hear from you. Give us a call here. Seriously, 416-870-6400, 888-225-TALK if you're calling long distance. The question is, I, I, do, do you miss the lunch with you know colleagues and customers? You know, your buddies at lunchtime, you know, the girls go out for lunch, the boys go out for lunch, go out as a group, whatever. And at lunchtime, you know, maybe a couple of those lunchtime beers, we can talk about that if it's something you want to talk about. But, you know, it's this whole thing about getting back to some kind of normal. And the concept of breaking bread, man, that's been around forever, right? It's just the way professionals, you know, do things. Break, break a meal, you know, break bread, have a meal together. It's a, it's a way to bond with clients and customers, employees. Great way to have time with your boss, right? Get out for a, a work and lunch and talk about, you know, things that interest you and interest them and uh, in a more casual setting, right? If, uh, if that's something that you're able to do. And things like, you know, those manly handshakes, you know, those real handshakes that used to be able to determine a person's personality from their handshake, you know. Oh, your father must have taught you to have a great handshake for a girl or for a boy or for a young man, you've got a great handshake, you know, those, those kind of lines. And nowadays, that handshake is a fist pump or an elbow pump or a forearm pump, and it's just, I don't know, just doesn't feel the same. You know, I went to an event, not long ago, a bunch of my friends, uh, it was a celebration during the, one of our religious days uh, that had passed. And, uh, you know, we, we, these are all guys that uh, I know and have known for years. And, you know, some of them I got a hug from, some of them I didn't. And uh, I'm a big huggy kind of guy. You know, everybody there was double vaccinated or you couldn't come. Uh, but, um, you know, it just people are just really standoffish. And, you know, these full-time uh, office working opportunities, you know, expense travel, daily commuting, social kissing. Remember, you used to kiss each other sometimes, your best buddies, you know, you give them a kiss on the cheek on the way in or those, uh, you know, what I call the European kiss where it's an air kiss from side to side. None of that, right? And this whole professional thing of breaking bread at breakfast, lunch, or at a dinner, it's going away. And I'm not sure it's coming back anytime soon. You know, things like shrinking edu- entertainment budgets that are uh, affecting, you know, uh, business lunches like we used to have in the day, right? Um, I remember, you know, many times uh, I'd be involved in something and uh, we'd meet for lunch or for, for breakfast. Is my I prefer breakfast over lunch um, only because I'm busier through the day. But, you know, the downtown centers are, are, are not active like they used to be. A lot of restaurants right, are in lockdown. By the way, give me a call. If there's a restaurant that you used to go to and they're not in business anymore, I want to hear from you too. 416-870-6400. How do you feel about this whole business lunch thing? 
You know, is it something that you're, 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 you know, you're, you're happy that we're doing it, we're not doing it, you know, and how do you forge those strong relationships with people the same way that you meet on a screen? So I do it all the time with patients. I meet patients for the first time virtually and we treat them for three, four months at a time in our, in our program at Recover at Home. Um, you know, at the farm in Stouffville, we're running, uh, uh, five or six, uh, online alumni classes, uh, every week. Uh, our staff are just doing exemplary work. Um, so the online stuff seems to work in terms of bonding enough that we can help people and treat people, uh, but it's not the same. You know, uh, I, I've done some coaching work here recently, and, uh, you know, one of the principals of the company I, I, I've been coaching um, has, uh, you know, we've created our relationship online, and last week we had a chance to actually meet and visit. We actually did get a hug, which was kind of cool. And, uh, you know, just a different sense of, Knowing each other when you see each other face to face and have that, you know, mono a mono, you know, that man to man or face to face or person to person opportunity, right? And you know, I'm not talking about the return of the four hour, you know, uh, you know, alcohol infused business lunch, but I'm just talking about that opportunity to meet with people or you know, reconnect. Uh, you know, meet with somebody, a colleague, a friend, uh, you know, someone that you know lurk, works around the corner, just trying to, you know, get out and trying to get some normalcy back. But, you know, our, our world has changed big time in terms of, in terms of uh, where we are right now. And uh, seems to be less time for things like that business lunch. We have Jason from Hamilton. Um, several restaurants have, have shut down. Jason, thank you for calling. I appreciate you uh, being a listener and taking the time to call. Uh, you lost a bunch of uh, restaurants you used to go to in your neighborhood? Yeah, well, there's one particularly by my house. It was called the Conquistador, and it, I think it's been around for like 20, 25 years. Yeah, I know. I remember it. I remember it. I know, I know the name. Yeah. So I, I live like really close to there, and you'd always see people going in and out of there. They'd be having like parties for christenings and you know, just a lot of um, stuff, but most of their business was people coming, getting together and all that. So when COVID, you know, shut all these things down, um, it just wasn't worth it for them to stay open. So they tried takeout for a while and then yeah. eventually everything just shut down. And I, I heard a rumor that they own the building, so they still yeah. have revenue coming in, but it yeah. wasn't worth it for them to, to run the restaurant the way that they used to. So it's um, it's sad to see a lot of these institutions that, had been supporting communities for a number of years, but uh, when business models aren't able to shift and adapt, uh, it's unfortunate. Uh, what kind of work do you do, buddy? Can I ask? Uh, yeah, I'm uh, I'm in financial services sales. So, so, oh, so okay, so the business the business lunch would have been a big deal for you at one point. It it has been, but uh, to be honest, it's shifted where we can be more efficient. So we don't actually have to go to people's homes or businesses. We can connect with them virtually, and people, a lot of people like that because it doesn't take up, you know, a lot of time. I mean, lunches and things like that will definitely help and, 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 and complement, but the efficiency of time to, to have meetings uh, has gone from, you know, going, driving around town, uh, you know, taking up half your day to taking 10, 15 minutes on Zoom. So it's been, uh, it's been a blessing in that sense, but we do uh, need to get some kind of interaction and connection back, and we've tried to do that maybe in uh, in our homes or backyards yeah. and things like that, but it's not yeah. the same as going going to a restaurant like Conquistador, sitting down, you know, yeah. getting that connection um, with people, and uh, hopefully, like you were talking about, we'll one day be able to break bread regularly to some extent in the future. So um, I'm hopeful, but uh, you know, it just depends on how how things take their course, and 
you know, with the Zach, I went to the baseball game today and I showed my nice. vaccination and, you know, once you're in there, everyone's good. Uh, and I, you know, we all tried to wear our mask and if I, my mask had broken, the usher gave me one. So it was a nice, nice environment once you get did, in there. And did, 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 did we win, did, did we, did we win or lose? We won 10 to one. Nice. Nice. Tomorrow, tomorrow is the big day because Beautiful. we need, uh, either Boston or New York to lose. Uh, and we need to win. Uh, and then there's some sort of playoffs that'll happen on Monday. Uh, and I think the Mariners are in it as well. So, yeah, right cool. down to the last stretch, we're going to be enjoying some baseball. So there was a, almost capacity. They had about 29,700. But nice. going there, it felt pretty normal, uh, aside from the people wearing masks. But everyone was giving people space. Um, you know, the staff was pleasant. So, to be honest, the things are starting to turn. I think if we... Uh, you know, get the vaccination, um, you know, majority of the population. I mean, we're always going to have those people like Chris Sky that, you know, just create yep. problems for no reason. But a majority, I'd say 90% of the population is uh, embracing uh, these changes and modifications. And we're, we're following rules. I mean, when you take your kids to school, you got to show those vaccine proofs as well, right? So yep. there's no, no difference. But, uh, yeah, thanks but, a lot for your show. You guys are doing a lot of good work. And, Thanks, man. people about good things that are going on. God bless. Thanks, brother. I appreciate the call and the fact that you're a listener, and we'll hope to hear from you again. And uh, great caller. Just love to chat with people like that. Um, so when we come back, we're going to talk about uh, anxiety again because we're just going to stay on top of this. How you let it go, and then you know, we're actually going to look at how you can turn anxiety into something good. Can you only imagine? Anyway, we'll be back in just a minute here after break. 416-870-6400 if you want to call. Uh, Jason's already broken the ice, so the lines are hot and ready. We'll see you in a minute. You want a bud? 640 Toronto. You're listening to Road to Recovery with Yona Bud only on 640 Toronto. Hey, 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 welcome back. This is Yona on the Road to Recovery, and uh, glad that you could join us. Give me a call here, 416 870 6400. Want to hear from you. Uh, makes the show much better, and I love hearing from you all because you're the best audience ever. It's 1018. You know where your children are, your loved ones, your pets, maybe? Uh, if not, you should probably get a handle on where these people are, the seniors in your life, and so on. If you're having a problem, you're not sure what to do, you can give us a call here, 416-870-6400, and we'll give you some guidance. But if you really think they're in, in, in any kind of trouble, you should call 911 uh, immediately. So, you know, we talk a lot about anxiety, and I know when I talk about anxiety, no one wants to call and share because, you know, they feel bad about sharing. But, you know, feel free to call and talk to us because, number one, it's anonymous. We don't know who you are, and we're not telling people who you are, first of all. And, um, you know, what we share here, we share for the benefit of listeners and other people. Uh, so it's nice when you can share and uh, we can make this a bit of a kind of a virtual support group, right, of tens of thousands of people. And uh, we're glad that we can be a part of that. So, you know, how do you let go of the stuff you can't control? Okay, so let me explain something to you. Stuff that you worry about tomorrow, you know, that's going to happen tomorrow, is the stuff out of your control. Because you don't know what tomorrow's going to look like, right? For example, I got a tea time planned for the afternoon. I planned it a week ago because that's what you got to do. You got to book tea times to play golf, you know, weeks in advance if you want to try to get on a course, right? It's going to rain. I'm thinking it's going to rain. Everything I'm seeing on the news and on the, on, on the uh, weather channel tells me it's going to rain. So I'm planning to play golf tomorrow. But if it rains, I'm going to do something else. I got a plan B. 
So that's how I deal with my anxiety. I always have a plan B. Fortunately, I'm married to a wonderful woman, and, and uh, uh, we refer to her as Pumpkin, uh, which is kind of appropriate in October, but she's always Pumpkin. And, and she's really versatile and flexible and makes it easy for me uh, to deal with my anxiety issues because uh, she's also willing to go with the, a plan B. We're never really stuck on any one thing. But there's things we'd like to do, and then there's things, you know, you, you, you know, if we can't do them, we'll do something else. Second choice, if you will. And, and you know, that's really what I'm talking about. You don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. You don't know how many times, you know, those tea times that I've canceled thinking that the weather was going to be crummy, and then I find myself at 3 o'clock in the afternoon when I was ready to go play uh, that the sun was out, but I'd canceled because it's supposed to rain. So you don't know, right? You just don't know. But anxiety in general really sucks. And I'm not going to pretend that it doesn't, it just doesn't, because it's not true. If you're overwhelmed and you can't get out of bed and you have that kind of an anxiety issue, debilitating anxiety, it's really horrible. You know, there's very rare that I, I experience that these days. I have a much better, do a much better job of taking care of my, myself and so on, eating properly, sleeping properly, working out, doing all that stuff to keep my, my anxiety, my OCD, my ADDD in check. Otherwise, I'm a mess and they, and they don't feed well off each other. But sometimes anxiety really spirals. And when it does, you know, you, you have this perceived threat, this concern, this panic about tomorrow, which is where all of it comes from. It all comes from the fear of what's going to be, even though, you know, for the most part, you play it over and over in your head a million times that, okay, no, I've been through this before. You know, I have a particular, I have a patient who uh, uh, is a school teacher and um, he was having real issues around anxiety going to school during the pandemic and and so on. And, you know, we had him going to school for two weeks before school started, just driving to school, sitting in the parking lot, having a cup of coffee, having a sandwich or a breakfast sandwich or something and getting ready for school, being there early, you know, helping him get ready because, you know, the perceived threat was I got to get to school. It's going to be a night, a nightmare and people aren't going to be wearing masks and kids are going to be sick and right. All this panicky stuff that, that I relate to. I've been there. I, I, I know what that feels like. I sometimes still find myself worrying about things. We were invited to a wedding recently. And I sent the, the groom, you know, who I, who I love, a beautiful young man, I sent him a, a message going, love to come and a series of questions, you know, who's vaccinated, who's not vaccinated, mask, no mask, sitting together, not sitting together, buffet, not buffet, like, you know, questions that, frankly, would show a stranger that this guy's a little bit crazy. But I'm not crazy, I'm just anxious. And I have anxiety issues around these kinds of things. So um, my point is, you have no control over tomorrow. You have control over what you do in situations as they occur. But until they occur, you don't. So, so much that happens in our life is beyond our control. So not knowing how to let it go really does hold you back from doing a lot of great things, right? So there's a person, you know, the, 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 there's an expression called slippery shoulder, and, and it refers to a conversation someone had in a restaurant with a, with a, with a restaurant worker about how you deal with, you know, uh, miserable customers that make you feel bad. And he says, I just let it go. It rolls off my back like water, right? This is a person who can prioritize where he is, what he's doing, and the fact that he makes great money, even though he has to take a lot of abuse from, you know, overly indulged people. It's an, ex you know, um, expensive restaurant that we're talking about here. So a lot of, you know, a lot of people that are, in, in, you know, entitled, and uh, feel like they can talk to people in whatever way they want. And, and by the way, that's not nice. We can't do that ever. Uh, people who are, you know, helping us and serving us and doing these 
these jobs and tasks are for our benefit. They, they, they deserve to be treated the same as you would if your mom or someone was serving you a meal, um, by the way, just for what it's worth. But you can determine what you're willing to and not willing to take in and stuff that you're willing to let go. So when you're looking at your anxiety, there's things that you can take under under control and there's things that you can't, right? So it's really important to understand where that anxiety fits and where it's coming from. And if you're spending a lot of time thinking about, you know, too much into the future, you need to talk to somebody, right? And if you're worried about who to talk to and you need to find somebody, you can always reach me, 877-777-5808. You can always get a hold of me. You can always call the studio, 416-870-6400, while we're on air, and they'll connect us after the show. I'm glad to help you. I'm glad to guide you. I'm glad to treat you if possible, or whatever it is I, I we can do to help. That's what we're here to do. Not trying to you know, rustle up business, just trying to give people some access to support if they need it. But I'll tell you, there's something about this whole anxiety thing that if you actually harness it, it can be for good. So anxiety, anger, those kinds of, of emotions, um, you know, so anxiety is, is, you know, can't really call it an emotion because it can be very debilitating. For some, it can be, you know, just something, you know, I get a little nervous when I go do this and do that. But for some, it's really can be really debilitating. And that just tells me and should tell you that, um, you know, it, it affects our bodies in a way that's really quite profound. Uh, a great article in the Star, her name is Christine uh, Sismondo. She wrote an article on September 20th uh, about how you can harness your anxiety for good. And she's talking about this uh, person, Wendy Suzuki, a, a professor of neuroscience and psychology at New York University. She decided to make friends with her anxiety. This is how the article goes on, so that she could tame it train it and turn it into psychological and uh, turn this into physiological, excuse me, and psychological responses into a superpower, harnessing something that would normally devastate someone into something that you can use for good. Though the strategy can work for just about anyone that wants to try to manage their everyday anxiety. So everyday anxiety is different perhaps than let's say clinical anxiety or clinical disorders like, like I have, right? Many of us have. So it's you know it's more situational. It's not quite as is is uh, rooted in mental health. Um, uh, you know, in poor mental health over time. So historic uh, poor mental health. But it's it's stuff that you know people just don't like to do things like travel or meet new people. You know, that's kind of that's kind of everyday anxiety. So there's a wide spectrum of anxiety according to Suzuki. And clinical anxiety can be really debilitating. We talked about that. But everyday anxiety is more like a constant pressure like that extra load that you got to carry on every day, she goes on to say. And she pictures her own anxiety as kind of like an anchor around her neck, she says, and it, but it doesn't keep me from doing stuff. But if I didn't have it around my neck, she said, I could be a lot freer, feel much better about the stuff I am doing. So there's no ta- there's really no path to anyone who to, for, to be totally ang- anxious-free or anxiety-free. The real path to that is living in the moment, being mindful. But even that, you can have bits of anxiety throughout the day um, about things that you don't understand. They're not really anxiety. Sometimes it can be excitement that comes through like anxiety, right? So sometimes it can really be out of control. But if you look at your anxiety, if it's just day-to-day, no, not just, if it's day-to-day anxiety, there's ways to harness that. It can also arise in a response to uh, less urgent issues, right? Concerns about financial worries and social situations. This, you know, it's not just a misfire, though. We should be paying attention to it, according to Suzuki. She wrote a book called Good Anxiety, Harnessing the Power of Most Misunderstood emo- of the Most Misunderstood Emotion. It's being released sometime this month. And it sounds like it'd be a really decent read, so it might be something you look for. So step one, she says, is to decrease 
you know, any overactive levels of anxiety, meaning that you just got to slow it all down. So she recommends box breathing, which is uh, one that we talk about here on the show a lot. That's, you know, you breathe in through your nose for the count of four, you hold it for the count of four, and you blow it slowly for the count of four, and you continue to do that slowly. That is one of the best ways to reduce anxiety. By the way, a whole bunch of push-ups, a whole bunch of sit-ups, go chop some wood, uh, go hit a heavy bag if you've got one. Highly recommend it for people that are you know, having issues with mental health and anxiety and so on. A heavy bag is great. You can punch it, uh, punch it as much as you want. Uh, but there's ways to get rid of our anxiety. Breathing is one way. Exercise is the other. Making sure that you're you know, eating properly, sleeping properly, uh, getting the kind of exercise you need. Those are ways to to decrease the number of anxiety. So reflect on it. Try to understand where it's coming from. Try to figure out where the trigger is and then use that as kind of a compass to guide you through that day or maybe the next days to come. So anxiety, they don't have to be afraid of it. Just, you know, embrace it, figure out where it is, follow it, you know, like you're following a, you know, a, a, a trail of breadcrumbs and it'll take you to that hidden meaning that hopefully will help you get through your your stressful life. So don't be afraid of it necessarily of you know sometimes what we don't know can be good for us and not always something we need to be afraid of. So great article and uh, hopefully it's something that helped you. I, I enjoyed reading it. I thought it gave me some some good insights as well. When we come back we're going to have a, a, one of our friend, one of our favorite guests we're going to talk about um you know, workers and uh, people going back to work, and do they feel psychologically safe? What is that? What is it to be psychologically safe? So when we come back from break, we're going to talk a little bit about that and uh, keep sharing, I hope. This is Yona Bud, 640 Toronto. Welcome back to Road to Recovery with Yona Bud, only on 640 Toronto. Okie dokie, welcome back, and uh, the show is winding down. Boy, the time flies, eh? It's a couple hours here, and... Uh, Next thing you know, we're just starting and we're ending. It's, anyway, love being here with you all. You're uh, you're an awesome group of uh, people to hang out with, a great audience. I like to say this is probably the best audience ever. Um, you know, I, and speaking of audiences and people and working, do people feel safe going back to work? Like, what does that mean, psychologically safe? So, you know, safe is one thing. They're wearing masks, they're physically distancing, and everybody's got a hand uh, sanitizer on the edge of their desk. And, you know, we're not sure, you know, coffee systems are shut down and there's no snacks at the in the kitchen like there used to be that everybody could pick away at and steal from one another and all that kind of good stuff, right? But we're not talking about that. We're talking about psychological safety. So it's it's an opportunity for someone to feel safe in their work, especially when we're talking about more inclusiveness and the opportunity for people to share in a uh, a team environment. But you need to be able to do that in a safe way, so you don't feel like you're being ridiculed or you know being put down or that you know your your ideas are stupid and you know no one's listening to you because you sound funny or your English might not be great. Um, so this kind of stuff, this psychological safety. Is something that we're uh, starting to look at uh, seriously as people are coming back to work. And an expert, as far as I'm concerned, on what's happening in the workplace uh, is a good friend of ours and, uh, and of the show. Her name is Paula Allen. She's the global leader and senior vice president of research and total well-being. What a cool title. Every time I read it, I think it's a cool title. Um, at uh, LifeWorks, which is a great organization uh, that helps uh, employees and employers and uh, just tries to make our working lives a little bit better. Paula, thanks for uh, joining us at such a late hour, and I hope things are going well for you. Uh, they're going well, and always a pleasure to join. Thanks. So um, this thing about psychological safety, uh, something that we're just talking about now um, in terms of it being a thing, but my guess is you've been around this game for a while. Uh, this is not something new, right? No, not by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, we've always needed psychological safety, and it's become 
very clear how critical it is not only for individual well-being but also uh, performance in the workplace. And and one way you can look at it is is that sense of respect and acceptance uh, and belonging. You know that yeah. that 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 thing that we all need and that's actually part of of what what keeps us whole as human beings. And the opposite of that is feeling that there are daggers around every corner, that you have to somehow impression manage or, or be someone who you're not, or you can't speak freely, even if you're speaking respect, uh, respective, respectfully. So I know, you know, there was a time, you know, I've been at this game a long time and worked with all kinds of corporations over my years of experience. And, you know, there was, there's always that, you know, way back, there was a time where, you know, you'd heard about uh, people working in an organization with uh, middle management and senior management and higher management, and then some really talented folks sort of on the, you know, front lines of the company, if you will, um, who, you know, had great ideas. But, you know, we're, we're always ridiculed for the ideas by middle management for fear that it made them look bad and so on. Um, is that still something of the present or is that just something of the past? Uh, unfortunately, there's a range of experiences in the workplace. So uh, that, that definitely happens in some. I'm hoping fewer. But, you know, we're, we're, we, we know more now. There's no excuse for that to be happening right now. Number one, it, it really doesn't feel good as a as a as a human to human type of way of interacting. But right. there have been so many studies. One one very famous one that was done by Google, the Project Aristotle, where they looked at the teams that did the best. So everybody was bright, everybody was competent, but the teams that did the best. One of the factors that made that made a difference was that they had that psychological safety, that people were able to speak their minds, they were able to call out when something needed to be different or better or wasn't working. And it, it doesn't take long to sort of put the dots together to say why that's a good thing. You just get the power of everyone's mind as opposed to the power of only a few. What happens, though, if someone's running a crew, or, you know, there's someone, a middle manager, someone's running a team, and, you know... The, the 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 people below them um you know are coming up with ideas and 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 concepts that you know frankly you know make them look great but perhaps not the manager is good um you know are we doing stuff today you know i understand that people managers you know these days especially have such a direct impact on how employees experience their workplace you know it used to be a time where if you had a lousy boss you know someone would say just suck it up it's a job whatever lousy boss he'll move on she'll move on whatever not like not so much like that anymore right Right. Well, well, organizations are understanding the, the, the importance of middle managers and doing something about it. I think what's great and what's proactive is really looking at who you select as a manager and training yeah. managers. Like, even yeah. if you select great peer, people, we don't grow up in school knowing how to be people leaders. You know, we, it, it, it really is a skill and important that managers know how important their behavior is on the psychological safety of their teams. And organizations are also looking at things like groups that do have high turnover, groups that do have lower productivity, do have groups that do have lower engagement scores, and really looking to problem solve around that. So it really is a very critical business factor. So that's why more organizations are paying attention to managers. 
And and I think uh, good people are losing are, are leaving you know senior jobs because they just you know uh, especially these days that the the market seems to be heated up for uh, certain fields and certain you know people with expertise. Um, but so people are not just now. What I'm understanding and the stuff I've been reading over the the last number of months, it's not just about the job or the the office or how much you're getting paid or time off. It's it's about how you're feeling at the job and and how you're being encouraged and how you're being you know sort of supported. Um, that seems to be a bigger issue for people looking to either find a new place to work or stay where they are. You know, what, what are they doing to make me feel comfortable and feel safe? Is, so how are you helping companies sort of engage and create that, that safety environment? Well, well, number one, really helping them understand exactly what you just said. You hit the nail perfectly on the head. I mean, it's not just about, you know, small things and superficial things. It is how you feel as a human being. So we have been bringing this to the attention of organizations on an ongoing basis. And part of this is that people have gone through a long period of strain. They've gone through a long period where they're feeling uncertain about a number of things. And during that kind of strain, you often reprioritize and realize, you know, I can't do anything in life, but my quality of life, just generally speaking, can't be what I want it to be unless I'm in a good place. So I'm going to make sure and a good place in my life. And I'm going to make sure that every aspect of my life, to the extent that I can, supports my well-being so I can be there for myself, there for my family, there for my next step in my, in, in my career. So these values are making more of a difference than, you know, $1,000 here, more a year, or whatever. Right. And organizations need to show employees that they care about their well-being and make sure that the working environment from the manager to the corporate culture reflects that. I was uh, had a call from a guy who uh, runs a, a manufacturing operation with over 600 employees and uh, his daughter actually who's been involved in the business suggested that he call me because they're having some issues with uh, senior managers and, and the culture and everything. We started talking and one of the things I said, so one of the things I asked the guy, an old school manufacturing guy, grew up, his father had the company before him and his dad probably before him. So, you know, old school manufacturer working hard, you know, uh, tough as nails, you know, not so touchy-feely as we would say in the in, in the treatment field. Um, and, and he said to me, and I said to him, so what are you doing to make sure that your your employees, you know, feel safe and comfortable, you know, and, and, and knowing that they're, you know, there's a job here and that they're not going to be put out. He says, you know, I, I give them a job and that should be enough to make them feel comfortable. And I said, and how does your daughter feel when you say that? And she said, well, that's why I had her to call you, asked her to call me. So talking to him a lot about, you know, empathy and understanding and, and what it means to be a real leader um, and, you know, not having to fix everything and so on. It's some of it's just old school thinking. And and not because managers are sometimes not because they're bad managers, but a lot of managers are just behind in terms of you know knowing what what people empl- what employees and staffers need today. Um, I, I know that at your organization at at at, um, at uh, LifeWorks, you're helping companies get past that that kind of t- you know learning to be a little more as I would say touchy feely, humanizing you know feedback and you know challenging <clears throat> power struggles and helping people you know kind of get empowered. Um, are you are you finding you're successful in being able to turn around sort of that old school thinking uh, to, for people to realize the benefits of uh, being a little more touchy feely? Yeah, and that's the good news um, that it is very effective. And what's very effective is training, because what you said was quite right. You know, very often it's that people just don't know what to do. You know, very often you do what you were 
you, you repeat uh, the situation that you were in when you were coming up, which might not have been particularly healthy. Right. So when we have these trainings, the responses back from managers is overwhelmingly positive. They get to understand that, you know, even you don't have to change your personality, but how do you actually show people that they belong? How do you actually show people that sense of respect? How do you actually listen in a way that actually makes sense for them as well as for you? But think about those skills that I just listed. That doesn't make you a better manager. That's not the only thing that it does. Makes you a better person. But that helps you with your relationships in life overall. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I, you're, 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 it's always a pleasure to talk to you because you're so right on the money and uh, it's just a smart person. But you know, the, the, you know, the, the reality is that you know, a lot of people that I that I treat, a lot of you know, business executives that I see, I treat and for whatever reason. You know, one of the things I tell them is you got to put the shoes on the other foot. You know, whether you're having an argument with your ex-wife or with your kids or with your employees or whatever, you got to put your shoes on the other foot. You got to recognize how this is going to sound to them. Not how it sounds to you, right? Um, but uh, sometimes they get it, sometimes they don't. But uh, fortunately, people like you are out there in your organization to uh, help companies get better at what they do. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll clearly have you come back uh, more and more because it's uh, always enlightening and educational. So thanks, Paula, and have a great uh, rest of your weekend. That's Paula Allen. She's the global leader and senior VP at Re- of Research and Total Wellbeing at LifeWorks, which is an incredible organization, and uh, we're just happy to have her on our side here. So when we come back, we're going to talk about some other stuff, and the stuff we're talking about in our last segment is the decriminalization uh, of the possession of illicit drugs for personal use. It's a big thing. It's heating up. Uh, Toronto's asking the federal government to give it some uh, some blessings to uh, put something like that in place. So I want to hear from you. What do you think? Should we cr- decriminalize uh, small amounts of uh, you know drugs? A guy has a little bit of fentanyl in his pocket or some, some uh, crack cocaine or something, clearly for his own uh, addiction support or mental health support. Um, you want to throw him in jail or we want to get him help? I want to hear from you. 416-870-6400. Give us a call as soon as we come back from break. Yona Bud, 640 Toronto. Addiction is a serious issue, and we take it seriously. This is Road to Recovery with Yona Bud on 640 Toronto. Okay, welcome back to the last segment of our show. What do you think? Should we legalize uh, or at least decriminalize? Big difference between legalizing and decriminalizing. Should we decriminalize the possession of illicit drugs? so that we can help more people and perhaps keep them out of jail. So Toronto's preparing to ask the federal government to do exactly that, to decriminalize the possession of illicit drugs for personal use in the city, saying that the move is needed as drug-related deaths reach record highs. Like, no kidding, um, this this epidemic of people dying from tainted drug supply uh, and, you know, using drugs to, to help solve some, un, you know, unresolved mental health issues and just people wanting to hide from their reality – so in Toronto, deaths involving all substances, including opioids, have increased to record highs. And that's according to Eileen, uh, uh, Eileen uh, Davila. She's the, uh, our uh, local um, public health person. We've seen her on TV a million times talking about the pandemic. The situation remains urgent and more action is required, she says. Public health said that a total of 521 confirmed opioid overdose deaths were recovered, recorded in the city alone last year. That represented, listen to this represented a 78% increase from deaths recorded in 2019. And we weren't doing a great job in 2019 helping people. People were dropping like flies and, you know, trying to get a handle on it. Then the pandemic hit and, like, it just became a mishmash of just horrible stuff. 
and we're losing people like crazy. The city data also indicates that in the first three months of this year, paramedics, right, first-line responders, responded to 1,173 suspected opioid overdose calls, right? Now, these aren't people trying to kill themselves. These are people dealing with tainted drugs, drugs that they can't control. They don't know what's in them. They don't know have a way to test them. There's no place to use them safely that's convenient. There are a few, uh, you know, um, safe injection sites, but certainly not enough and so on. So 93 of those involved a death. So that compared to 46 calls involving a death in the first three months of 2020. So since the beginning of 2021, there's doubled, right? 46 to 93, more than doubled if you do the math. The decriminalization request to Toronto is preparing is we'll ask Health Canada for an exemption under what's called the Controlled Drug and Substances Act for personal drug use in the city. It's similar to what they're doing, uh, one that was happened that was uh, passed in uh, Vancouver in this past May. Um, we tried to get Leah Chapman. She's a registered nurse and co-organizer or co-organizer of the Toronto Overdose Prevention Society. We weren't able to get her last minute, but she lost her brother Brad uh, to opioid overdoses and. Uh, just a few weeks after he was released from jail, he had years of in and out, in and out, in and out, and this recovery, you know, this revolving door of people who need help ending up in jail where you don't get help, right? Um, as a matter of fact, depending on where you end up, you, make, you get more drugs. You know, there are lots of guys getting high behind bars, and people, you know, on the outside have no clue, but it really does happen. You've seen movies and TV shows about people behind bars, and they, you know, they dramatize a lot of it, but a lot of it is real. So if you want to get high while well, you're in jail, you can Certainly not a place to get well for the most part, unless you're going to the Ontario Correctional Institute, uh, where I worked for uh, 10 years as a, a volunteer chaplain. Um, and, you know, there, there it, it, you know, while you're in custody, while you're in, incarcerated, people are there to help you. So Joe Cressy, he's one of our city councillors, Toronto Board of Health. He said that they're currently consulting on the details of what exemption would look like. How do you, you know, how do you feel? We've got a few minutes left, maybe five or six minutes left here, uh, if you want to give us a quick call. You think we should legalize or certainly decriminalize street drugs so people aren't going to jail and they're getting help? Well, that's the key. The key is what then happens. So if you, if you decriminalize it, makes lots of sense, right? Decriminalize it. For what benefit? So you won't go to jail, or you won't, you know, you won't get, uh, you won't get written up on a criminal charge if you go get help, if you attend a, you know, government-sponsored uh, rehab program, you know, uh, you know, some kind of outpatient program in one of the hospitals. So Toronto Center for Addiction and Mental Health recently released a statement on this issue, saying that making criminals out of substance abuse users has been completely ineffective and counterproductive. I think they would know, right? These are people that study this stuff and see people that have a hard time. There's no benefit in sending somebody to jail because they've got a tenth of a gram of cocaine in their pocket that they've cooked so that they can smoke it and help get through whatever miserable day they feel they're having at the time. The solution is not clearly not letting them go ahead and get high. But what it does is if you decriminalize it and we somehow make it you know, such that people don't feel that they can't come to, uh, for example, a testing site, for fear that they're going to get arrested. We did a did a, a show not so long ago, maybe a few weeks ago, about people being arrested outside safe injection sites um, in, in Winnipeg, uh, I believe is where it was. And people were being, you know, people were being arrested outside of safe injection sites where they should feel comfortable going to use. So if you decriminalize and people can go to places and test whatever it is they're about to stick in their arms, snort up their nose or smoke or however they're going to take their, their street drugs, 
and some kind of testing facilities be available, rapid tests, so they know how much fentanyl, if it's fentanyl, whatever, so that you know you can decide how much you're going to use. Because I've said it before, if you think if you're used to using heroin and and your normal uh, amount for getting high, think of it this way. Think of it getting this way. Let's say you're a dope smoker, right? You smoke weed. So you're used to smoking a joint, and you smoke that joint, and you get a nice buzz, and it's comfortable. You can manage it. You know exactly how much to smoke. If you want to get higher, you smoke some more, right? So on and so forth. If you're getting too high, you stop smoking halfway through and put it out and save it for later, right? I'm not teaching you how to get high. I'm just taking you through a process. Now, all of a sudden, I hand you a joint. Looks like a regular joint. Smells like weed, but it's, it's, it's tainted or it's laced with something that's going to that's gonna blow your mind, like fentanyl. And by the way, we are losing people, and people are overdosing on marijuana-laced uh, um, fentanyl. But back in the day, it was you know PCP or rat poison. So you know, if you don't know what you're smoking, and you smoke that joint just like a regular joint, and thinking that a joint for me is normal, but this joint is like ten times, twenty times, a hundred times the power of the joints you normally smoke, what's going to happen? You're going to overdose. You're going to get sick. You can't overdose on weed per se, but you're going to get sick or something not good is going to happen, right? So testing this stuff is one key way of saving lives. But who's going to show up to a testing site for fear of getting arrested? So I'm not suggesting that I'm simplifying all of this, my dear friends, right? First of all, because I'm not that smart to understand how all this stuff works politically and legally, but I can tell you practically, I'm certainly smart enough to understand practically that if you're able to go somewhere and test your stuff, at, at the very least, or use your stuff in an environment without fear of being arrested, or when you do get picked up by the police, you know, you're given a, a pamphlet and an opportunity and maybe driven to a, to a 24-hour outpatient facility to get help. Lots of opportunities here to save lives if we decriminalize it. But it shouldn't be an opportunity for those to use that aren't using all of a sudden, you can carry around a half a gram of cocaine and not worry about you know, getting caught with it. It shouldn't open the door for those people like marijuana has for many kids thinking, oh, not such a big deal. It's only weed. We're not going to get arrested. Who's going to bother? By the way, if you're underage and smoking weed, you will get arrested. You, will get t- you could potentially get a ticket, and so could your parents if you're underage. So I'm telling you, what I'm suggesting here is we've got to look at this as an opportunity, if we can, look at this as an opportunity to capture and, and capture the the, the 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 attention of the people that are are suffering with self-medicating who are having a difficult time with street drugs right it's important that we try to capture them you know not not capture them in a bad way like hold them against their will but take advantage of the interaction so that we have an opportunity to help these people and save some lives where people are dying because we're stuck in this old antiquated system of if you're if you're a drug user you're a criminal and you you know you should know better and be able to make better choices trust me if these people could make better choices they'd be making better choices and i would be out of business and which would be just fine for me i'm glad to learn how to how to be a landscaper or something else fortunately if we can get a handle on all this stuff in the future anyway i'm here right here right now trying to help do what we can to make people's lives a little bit better. Um, we hope that next week we'll uh, have you back. Lots of more good, lots more good stuff to talk about um, and hopefully have some callers to share with as well. Uh, but remember, be good to one another, right? Be good to each other. Be good to yourself. You know, if you can't hug somebody, certainly give them a nice foot fist bump or at the very least a smile. God, man, smile goes a long way. Helps make people feel so much better. I love you. Thank you for listening to us tonight. And uh, we'll see you again next week. Yona Bud, 640. Toronto.